Before we get to episode 180, I'd like to ask for your support of the I Can't See You podcast. Please go to ICan'tSeeYou.com slash Amazon whenever you need to pick something up from Amazon. It doesn't cost you anything more, and I do earn a small commission when you do check out. It doesn't matter what you buy. Most items have some sort of commission attached to them. They basically range from 3 to 10%. Again, that's ICan'tSeeYou.com slash Amazon. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. From Studio B in Swarthmore, this is the I Can't See You podcast with David. It's like blind people for dummies. Hello there, and welcome to episode 180 of the I Can't See You podcast. My name is David, at David Benj on all the socials. I really do appreciate you joining me for this episode, and I've got a few things to talk about. The first thing is Global Accessibility Awareness Day. And this came to me very early today. I was trying to do something on the website called moz.org. I was trying to check the domain ratings of a domain that I was interested in. And I got to the part where I typed in the domain name and I hit submit. And then it said something like, wait a second, can you make sure you're a human? And I'm pretty sure I am, so I checked that box. And then a CAPTCHA came up. And if you're not familiar what CAPTCHA is, it's those little squares, those pictures, and you have to say how many motorcycles do you see or how many bridges or stop signs or whatever. The problem is, of course, when you can't see, you have no idea. And as soon as that came up, I took a look for (laughs) the audio portion of the CAPTCHA. Most CAPTCHAs also have an audio component for folks like me who can't see. And when I zoomed in and I looked around the bottom, I saw no audio item. And usually it's an icon of a pair of headphones. Sometimes it might be something else, but usually it's the headphones. So I looked around some more. Maybe I was missing something, but I did see this hand. It looked like a hand. Maybe it wasn't. And I thought, geez, that seems kind of familiar. Maybe I'll click on that. So I clicked on that, and it was something called HCAPTCHA, which I remembered signing up for a while back. And when I say a while back, it was a year or two that I signed up for that. And it was supposed to make things easy when a CAPTCHA popped up and they used this service, the HCAPTCHA service. The problem was I logged in to my HCAPTCHA account, I clicked the button that said set cookie or whatever it said, and then I went back and tried to log in again and get that domain information about the domain I was curious about, and I still couldn't do it. And I tried half a dozen times figuring I must be doing something wrong, and and I could have been doing something wrong, but I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't get it to work, and I said, you know what? I've already wasted 15 minutes, a half an hour. I don't know what it is, but it was something that I was doing very quick, supposedly very quickly. And again, as I've said in the past, blind folks do everything a little bit, <laughs> a little bit slower than everybody else. And it's stuff like this that just makes that even worse. So I looked around and I thought, you know what, this is ridiculous. And then I realized it was after midnight. It is now Global Accessibility Awareness Day. And I said, how funny is this that I can't do this because there's not the audio component to this CAPTCHA and the H CAPTCHA wasn't working. So it was inaccessible to me. So I fired off a tweet, and you can see that over at 
twitter.com slash David Benj, and basically tagging uh, Moz and HCAPTCHA. And funny enough, I started editing the newest episode of White Canes Connect, and HCAPTCHA responded. And they said they were sorry to hear. Could you give us some more information via DM? So I DM'd them. Again, took some more time. They told me, here's what they needed, some more information. I gave them that information, and then nothing really happened. I was editing for a while. Nothing really happened, and they they told me that uh, I could do this, and they gave me a link. And that was that was early this morning, and I haven't tried that yet because I've been busy all day. So at some point tonight, probably before I finish editing episode 34 of White Canes Connect, uh, I will try and make that work. And it's just infuriating to me that I had to go through all that. And that's the whole point of Global Accessibility Awareness Day, why things need to be working for everyone. And if you're not sure what else accessibility means, uh, I was every time I hear the word accessibility and accessible, I think back of, about a month ago, I had my surgery, and the anesthesiologist, when I asked her if this document was accessible, she said, oh, yeah, it's always in your file. You can have it whenever you want. I said, yes, but is there another version? You want me to sign something now, and I don't know what it says. Here, we'll read it. And I said, I can't read it because I'm visually impaired, and uh, hopefully some of that's going to be corrected today. It's never going to be great, and I'll I'll give an update on my vision because I had an appointment yesterday. I'll give that in a minute or two. And by minute or two, you know that means <laughs> five or 10 minutes. So a lot of folks don't get what accessibility means. Now, here's a doctor. The anesthesiologist is a doctor, and she's working at a hospital where people who can't see come in. Some of them get their vision fixed enough where they don't need things that are accessible. But a lot of people there probably still do. I don't know the percentages. So things that aren't accessible to me are things like that website when I try to get some information or like just a couple of hours ago, Jacob is going to West Virginia to hang out with some friends this weekend. And I asked him what time his train was leaving from Philadelphia and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go on the SEPTA app. SEPTA is the regional transportation authority in this area and, and stands for Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority. So that tells you where I live. And I wanted to see what the train schedule was. Well, once you open the app, you can have some favorites set up, which I set up long ago, when, probably when I first got the app. I live near the Swarthmore Station. That's where Jacob would be leaving from to go into Center City, Philadelphia, or actually 30th Street Station uh, in University City. And the entire favorites page, which is what opens up when you get open the app after you get through all the pop-ups that come up. Can we use your location? They talk about you don't need to wear a mask. And once I said okay to those, and those were accessible, I get to my favorites, which I set up, and I set up the bus route that's close by my house that could take me to the train if I'm carrying luggage. Uh, on a nice day, obviously, I would walk because it's around a mile or so. But I open that up and I see my favorites, and it says favorites. That I heard. 
but everything else was just a tone. Dink, 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 dink. As I dragged my finger around the screen, dink, 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 dink. I have no idea what was on there. I don't know what was the rail, what was the bus, what was anything else. I also have a trolley on there because there's a trolley that I can sometimes take when the regional rails aren't running or specifically during COVID when there were very, a very abbreviated schedule for the regional rails, which is obviously the quickest way from Swarthmore into Philadelphia. It's about a half an hour. If you have to take the trolley, you basically have to take a trolley from uh, the Springfield Mall, not too far from my house, into a terminal called 69th Street. And then from there, you get on something else called the Market Frankfurt Line. And then you can get to 30th Street Station that way. But of course, you've got to change and all sorts of things. And now the good thing about the trolley and the Market Frankfurt Line they run very frequently. Uh, I think the trolley runs every 20 minutes, and I don't know how often the Market Frankfurt line runs, also pretty frequently, maybe 15 or 20 minutes. The regional rails, especially during COVID, sometimes there was a two-hour gap. You might get a train at 10.05, and then the next one wasn't until 12.05. So if you had a train to catch from 30th Street Station in Philadelphia at 1 o'clock, you still had to get on that 10 o'clock SEPTA train to get in there and then had to hang around. Most of the times when that happened, I would just take an Uber in. So I'm trying to check the schedule on the SEPTA app where I have the favorites already set up and easy so I don't have to go and input everything again. But like I said, it wasn't accessible. I then went to the regional rail section of the app and everything was accessible, but I had to plug everything back in. I had to go to the uh, the line that we have, which is the... Um, I don't even remember what it's called, Media uh, Elwin Line. And then you put in your starting station, which of course is Swarthmore, so you got to you know swipe through a whole bunch of stations there. Fortunately, 30th Street is the first one. So from and to, uh, from is a lot harder than the two to, <laughs> to plug in. But once you plug that in, it then gives you the whole schedule for the next day or that particular day, depending on what time of the day you're in. But it gave me Friday when I checked it at around 4 o'clock this afternoon. I was happy to see that it seems like they run hourly once out of rush hour. During rush hour, uh, there's at least two per hour. Sometimes there's three per hour. But during the off times, it used to be, like I said, once you got to 10 o'clock, there was a 10, then a 12, then a 2, and I believe then a 3, and then it ran every half hour or so. So I just kept thinking about this as I'm going through different things with accessibility issues and thinking about Global Accessibility Awareness Day. One of my biggest pet peeves, and I don't want to make this sound that I have something against folks who are deaf or hard of hearing, but to me, that is the sexy disability, at least this year. I've watched two TV shows that mimicked deafness. And I thought, would they ever do a TV show where they mimicked blindness by not having any picture on the screen? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. If you pick up your remote control for your TV or your, from your cable company, I'd be willing to bet that on that remote control, you can find a button that has the CC, the closed caption logo, right there on the front. 
to put on audio description. Now, it's a lot easier if you have the voice commands now. But you've got to search for that through menus. And of course, if you don't have the voice remote, how are you going to get there if you can't see? Somebody's going to have to set it up for you. Whereas, again, the closed captioning for folks who can see perfectly, or even slightly, it's right there on the, a button right there on the remote. And that just bothers me. Most network TV shows, ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC, have closed captioning on them. Most of them, if not all of them. Do you know what has to be described on network TV for audio description? 87 and a half hours per calendar quarter. That works out to about seven hours per week. Now, doing the math very quickly here in my head, there are seven days in a week. So that means an hour a day. If you got to that number quicker than I, you're very smart. One hour per day. And when I watch stuff on my own and stuff comes up that's closed caption, sorry, subtitled, I sometimes try to get through it without thinking, without wondering, am I going to need this later? Or what should I do? And a lot of times, if I really am interested to know what these people are speaking, if it goes on for more than a 30-second conversation, I will rewind it, and then I will pull out my phone and use one of the apps on my phone, whether it's Seeing AI or Envision, and I will have my phone read what the subtitles say. I could turn on the audio description, but most times network TV shows are hit or miss. And something that's really disturbing is, and the all-blind fantasy football league commissioner has pointed this out, some shows when they air on CBS do not have the closed captioning. When they're on Paramount Plus, they do. So you have to pay extra, or you have to even pay, because when you're watching on CBS, that's free if you don't get sucked into one of the ads and go and buy whatever they're pushing. So that's what accessibility means. And I'll put a link in the show notes that Frank has sent over, and it'll have a whole bunch of different uh, events that have gone on today and that have gone on in the past and things like that. It is just unreal how little is described on TV. I just don't get it. And I don't know why there's not more. Uh, I'll also put a link to an episode of That Real Blind Tech Show. Larry Goldberg, who was instrumental in helping the All Blind Fantasy Football League do a case study a couple of seasons ago, and then our draft video last year, and you can see that video at ICan'tSeeYou.com slash football. I know I push it a lot, right? ICan'tSeeYou.com slash football. <laughs> but Larry was talking about audio description not being mandated like closed captioning was back in the day. I think it was the late 90s. I, I'm not quite sure when, when that all went down. But I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes because Larry was huge in accessibility both uh, in TV and then at Yahoo. And he just left Yahoo, as he says, he's rewired, not retired, uh, so I'll put a link there, and I, I had the chance to talk to him the day of the draft, and um, just he's just 
has done a lot for folks as far as accessibility items go, both uh, on TV and at Yahoo. So that's the meaning of accessibility, and it, it might not, you might not need it. If you're one of the folks who are listening, who can see and who can hear, you don't, that might not strike anything to you, might not mean anything to you. But to folks who are blind or visually impaired, it is huge. It is the difference between knowing what kind of commercial is on or what kind, what's going on in a portion of a show or a movie where there's just music playing and no dialogue. I couldn't imagine watching Castaway with Tom Hanks without somebody being with me. Now, I don't know if that's got audio description at this point or not. But when I watched it, Liz and I watched it together. So she was my describer. <laughs> so, and I do want to thank Frank also, now that I, I think of that. I mentioned last week a Netflix show that Brian had described, and it's, I mistakenly called it Your Father. The actual title on Netflix is called Our Father. And I started watching it over the weekend. I'm about halfway through it. And it is very, very creepy. <laughs> So, uh, but Brian did a great job on it. So check that out. And if you want to hear how Brian sounds, you can easily on Netflix, turn on the audio description and you can hear what he sounds like as he describes what's going on in the video. And again, when you have audio description for what's happening on the screen, sometimes it's as little as just reading a person's name when they have the graphic up of the person who's on the screen. Sometimes it'll talk about what's in the room or what's hanging on the wall or Joe walks into the room and there's a gun on the table, if you're watching a TV show, or a movie for that matter. So that's what accessibility means to me. And obviously all along, many episodes I do have to do with things that are accessible or not accessible, depending on, on what it is and how great something is or how terrible something is, because it's not accessible. So again, today is Global Accessibility Awareness Day. It's the 19th of May as I record this. And I, I wasn't sure how accessible I was going to be to this microphone because I had wanted to record this much earlier than I am. I'm sitting in Studio B. It's around 8 o'clock on Thursday night, the 19th of May. My plan was to record this episode about 10 hours ago. And... I got a call about an hour before I was going to record that had to do with my new psoriatic arthritis medicine. And there's a whole lot of things to go through. And I not only had to talk to the secondary provider, RX provider, not 100% sure what they are, but they basically cover the difference between what my insurance covers and my copay is or my out-of-pocket is. And then they then also get, I get help from the drug manufacturer, which in this case is Janssen. So I had to talk to both someone, her name was Raven, from the secondary provider. And then I had to talk to Candace from Janssen. And you have to give all sorts of information and they give you these card numbers and all sorts of things. And it gets to the point where Candace from Janssen said, your benefits cannot exceed $20,000 in a calendar year. I then, of course, after picking my jaw up off the floor, said, wow, that's even more expensive than the Otesla. The drug manufacturer 
and the secondary insurance for Otesla is only $9,000. So does that mean this medicine that I'm going to take, and it's called Stellara, does this mean it's roughly $9,000 or $10,000 a month? Or a, 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 I don't even know. And I don't know how they figure because this medication is an injectable, which once you take the first couple of doses, you then only take one a quarter, which I like that idea of. That's only four times a year. Obviously, again, did the math pretty fast there. So that's something that Liz should be able to help me with. I, I don't mind injecting myself. I did it with another one. And, <laughs> and I know I have a few episodes where I talk about uh, hitting, a vein, <laughs> hitting a vein once and bleeding all over the couch, thinking it was pretty hysterical. And um, Liz did not find it funny. <laughs> Uh, I will try and find that. If I can find what episode that is uh, in a timely fashion, I, I will put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, but uh, I was mad my phone wasn't next to me so I could take a picture of the blood bubbling up out of my leg. Uh, so that whole phone call just took so long that it kind of took my window away from recording. And that always seems to be the case with me. Either I'm terrible at managing my time, like Andy Reid is, or I am too flexible and I will do different times on my own to help somebody else because they might need something more than me. And so I'm recording this now. Now, another thing that I wanted to talk about was my appointment yesterday uh, was around five or six weeks since my uh, surgery, the cornea transplant, which I'm not sure I mentioned this previously, at my last appointment, not the one yesterday, the one a month ago, the doctor said to me, you have big eyes. <laughs> and I started to laugh, and I said, that's pretty funny. And he said, no, when you have glaucoma, evidently, it, I guess it makes your eyes bigger. And he said, we got you about the largest cornea we could find, but it's still not big enough, so it's going to take a little longer to fit you right. And that's when you'll feel, and I felt it a couple days ago, where I could feel, where it feels like a foreign body is in my eye. And uh, technically, there is a foreign body in my eye, right? And uh, I take some drops for that just over the counter. It's called Miro 128. Uh, and they, that kind of makes it feel better. It's basically like putting salt water in your eye. And uh, it really does, after the initial sting of having that go in, it, it makes it feel a lot better, usually. So yesterday, I went to this appointment, and we get there. Now, Liz wasn't feeling well. And she gets these migraines from time to time. And as we're sitting in the car before I get out to go into my appointment, I'm thinking, hmm, my mom had migraines too. Now Liz has migraines. I'm wondering if there's a connection and maybe it's not actually migraines. Maybe I'm the one causing them. And I don't disagree that that might not be the case. But I ended up going in on my own. Liz felt terrible to the point where she was nauseous and... I'm hoping that all it was was a migraine because one of the kids in her class had been sent home the day before because she had a fever. And then at the spring concert that night showed up again with a fever of 103. The parents insisted it was from something she ate. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see over the next few days if there is a, an outbreak of covid between the kids and other folks in the school. And again, it might not be from her. It could be from somebody. Um, 
It might not be from this student. It might be from somebody else. But of course, all bets are on it. It's this kid. And why the parent would think it's okay to send the kid in to the concert when they were sent home from school for the reason that they shouldn't be there because they don't want other people to get whatever it is this kid has. And I know what the answer from the parent is. It's the kid really wanted to go to the concert. Or the parents really wanted the kid to be in the concert. Whatever it is, it wasn't right. But we get to my appointment. Liz is sick. And I said, why don't you just stay here? I can go in. She's like, are you sure? I said, I can go in. It's, it's not like I haven't been here before. And even if I hadn't, I'd be able to find my way through. So I go into the appointment and I, I work my way. Uh, we park at Will's Eye Hospital. Uh, parking, easiest parking is on the seventh floor. That's the top of the parking garage. And then you walk across the parking lot into the surgery area. And you can go one way, go right to go to the surgery stuff, go left to go around the corner to go to the elevators. So I go to the elevators. I notice that there's someone there waiting. And I don't know what button is lit up. I can see that there is a button lit up. But I go over and I don't like to feel, but I've got to push, make sure the up button is pushed. So I go over and I feel the buttons and I touch the top one. And it turns out that guy was going, he was waiting for a down elevator. His came, fortunately, in the hospital, it dings, and then it says it's going down. Actually, it dings, says the floor, and then says going down. And then right after he got on, another one dinged, and it was going up. And there were quite a few folks on there. And fortunately, somebody hit the button for me, or I'd have to clear everybody out of the area just so I could feel, you know, I only had to go up two floors, but I'd have to feel for the the right button. But somebody pushed for me. So I get to the ninth floor. And I go where I think I need to be, which is this doorway that leads to a hallway that leads into the check-in area and the seating area, the waiting room area. Well, the door is locked. And I'm like, okay, it's 7.30 in the morning. Maybe, well, at this point, it's 7.20 in the morning. Maybe I'm a little early. Nobody's here yet. And I know that was a huge mistake on one part for going so early, but it was also good to be done. We were actually done, and I was back home by 9. So... I'm just standing there. I don't know what to do. I don't know if there's any buttons to push to get buzzed in. Somebody else comes along and they try the door and then they push a button that was near the door that evidently unlocks it. And I'm not quite sure why it needs to be locked then if there's a button right next to the door handle that can unlock it. And I don't believe that that buzzed somebody to then get buzzed in. I believe just by hitting that button, you unlocked it and could open it. Now, I didn't have to hit either because when the lady opened the door, I just followed her in. I walked over to the desk. I checked in and I stood in the waiting room for five or 10 minutes, maybe 15. I doubt it. I was just on my phone. And because it wasn't so crowded, I didn't feel so bad that I didn't bring my earbuds. And I was just listening to news articles and email and responding to email And this time, standing there, nobody came over and called me a blink, which I guess that would have livened things up a little bit, but it didn't happen this (laughs) this time. So I get called back, I go back, and I start talking with, uh, I don't know if she's a nurse, the person who takes all the information, all your medication the same, let's check your, your vision. And they start off with this huge letter, which I could clearly see it was a giant K. And I'm like, oh, I wish everything were that big because I can see that so easily. Now, if you've ever taken an eye test, you know how big an eye chart is that, you know, gets projected. 
Just imagine that screen being full with a, a letter. That's what it was like. And uh, afterwards, I found out that line <laughs> was 20 over 1,200. And I, I thought, oh, okay. So I was excited at first when I could see it, but then when she told me it was 20 over 1,200, I wasn't so excited. And I progressively went lower and smaller, and I got to the point where even when it was pretty small, I was able to read it. And again, if you were excited to read this line, you'd be horrified, but I was able to read without even guessing the 20 over 300 line. And then I got to the 20 over 250 line, and I could tell that it was round, and I couldn't tell exactly. I knew it looked to me like a C or a G, and I took a guess, and I guessed right. So she put down that I read the 20 over 250 line, and I'll take it. And um, <laughs> when the doctor came in, and uh, he asked me how things were going, and I explained that occasionally I was feeling the foreign, foreign sensation in there. And I said, but I, I heard I read the 20 over 250 line. He said, yeah, that's great. And I said, yeah, I know. I'm really excited. He said, you know, you're still blind, right? And I said, yeah, I know. I said, I know it's not an offer on thing. And he said, you're right, it's not. And he then removed a stitch, which I remember in the past I had a stitch or several stitches removed by laser. He just pulled it out with some sort of instrument. And again, if I could see better, I'd be able to describe it more. But it might have been a pair of tweezers, small pair of tweezers. Uh, I don't know. But he pulled it out. I didn't even feel it. And... um and when he did, I said, oh, did you just pull it out? He's like, yeah. He said, did, did you feel anything? I said, no, it was great. And, uh, and then he told me I had to take some drops. No, I took, I may have mentioned it after my last appointment there, I took my bottle of eye drops that I had that I knew he was going to ask me to take, which I haven't taken since the last time I would see him. And I was worried that I didn't have enough. So I took them in and we left them, I left them upside down. And so he actually gave me one right after that. He said, well, let's see, I'll give you one now. And he took it. He said, oh, yeah, there's plenty in there. I only needed to take it for up to three days. He said, "If you, as long as you got drops in today, meaning yesterday, he was happy with that. And so far, I was able to get all the drops in yesterday. I took two more yesterday at uh, six-hour increments. And then I took two so far today, and I'll take one more right before I go to bed. Um, and so far, I got two in. And so hopefully I'll get that last one in. Today, when I took the second one, I could hear it kind of bubbling. Now, a drop did come out pretty easily, uh, but I don't think there's much left in that tank. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I had a great appointment, and he said most of the changes will happen in the first three months, but you could see improvement over the, uh, the course of a year. And the fact that I was able to read with very little trouble, the 20 over 300 line, I was very excited by. And I've kind of noticed, and again, it fluctuates just like when you have an ache or pain. Sometimes it's worse in the morning, better at night, so forth and so on. Vision, my vision fluctuates like that too. And there are times that I can see when I sit down at the computer and I can zoom in on something and easily read it without having to use voiceover or the text-to-speech. There are other times that I have no idea and I try to highlight something to use text-to-speech and I end up clicking on a link because I didn't even recognize it. So we'll see how it goes, but I am, I am happy about that. And uh, so things so far, Knockwood, are going, going pretty well with that. And 
one of the things that I was worried about, I don't know if you could just hear that, Ziggy was barking upstairs, and he doesn't bark very often, so hopefully you could hear that. One thing that I was worried about was my interocular pressure. That's the glaucoma, and high pressure is bad because it kills off these pressure spikes, kill off uh, your optic nerve. That's why, as I've mentioned before, when you have pressure spikes, they come from the outside of the optic, optic nerve and hit into it. So that's why your peripheral vision is usually the first to go with glaucoma. So my pressure had been had dropped back down to seven, and seven is, I was happy that it was back there. Uh, and that's the ballpark that I'd like to be in. If it were one or two points higher, that'd be fine too. But where it was after my last appointment was 14, and that used to be scary numbers for me. And the time before that, the day after the surgery, it was at 16. So I was concerned because any any time you do anything to your the eye, whether it's uh, surgery or some sort of bump or whatever, that could destabilize the pressure and something always to worry about. And again, the majority of my 18 surgeries have been glaucoma related. So I was happy that the pressure was good. So it was a great appointment. I don't go back until July 1st now. And he said, I wouldn't even have you back that soon. But he was also concerned with the pressure. So that was the reasoning. And I took the 735 appointment again. So again, it just just messed up my whole day <laughs> because I didn't sleep well. I miscalculated on when I needed to go to sleep because I had miscalculated on what time I needed to wake up so we could leave in plenty of time. So I was just, I got mad when I realized and I was going to, heading up the stairs to go to bed. So that just made, got me all riled up and then I couldn't fall asleep once I got into bed. So I only had two and a half or three hours sleep that night. So I came home, I took a nap, still was groggy. Just, it was just not, I didn't get much accomplished uh, yesterday and I had so much to do and I was, I was really mad at myself for not getting things done. So that's the update on my post-op checkup. And again, it was good. I was really happy with that. The last thing I wanted to talk about, and I'll try and keep it somewhat brief because I can see we're pretty far in there, was we had a Keystone Chapter meeting on Saturday at the Penn Museum. And I love doing the online, sorry, in-person meetings. It's great that there's an online component because not everybody can get there easily. And again, that's something that <laughs> we found out that day, getting around when you're blind or visually impaired isn't as easy if you are as if you're sighted. And I'll point that out in a second. But because Ziggy had surgery at the end of last week, we didn't want to leave him by himself. Jacob was at work, and Liz usually takes me into the meetings, and I find a way out, whether I take SEPTA or I take Uber. Uh, that depends on what time I get done. And lately, it's mostly been Uber, and I've been sharing with a couple of folks to come home because uh, one of them has also just had surgery and it was told not to take public transport so she doesn't get jostled around or have an issue with the eye. And uh, the other one lives close to me, so it just makes sense to share to share a ride. So I took an Uber in, and the guy was great. His name was James. And I asked him, because of the way... When you get to the Penn Museum, which is right on South Street in University City, if you're familiar with that section of town, Franklin Field is right across the street from the museum. 
Well, you're heading westbound on South Street, and the museum is on the south side of South Street. So I asked James if he would if he could somehow turn around so I could get out without having to cross South Street because it was busy down there. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on. And I later on TV saw that Penn was hosting a lacrosse game. I wasn't sure if it was at the at Franklin Field or another field somewhere in that section of town. But he went around the loop for me and, and spent an extra five minutes. I was very appreciative that he did that for me because he could have dropped me off right in front of Franklin Field and then I would have had to battle to cross the street. And again, it was busy out on Saturday. I'm not quite sure why. Not just there, in all of Philadelphia, and I'll explain in a minute. One of the things when our meetings are in person, I am the one that helps folks get from, whether it's the train station, which is close by, or it's going to the front of the museum and helping them navigate to where our meeting room is. And it really is easier. And I guess folks don't know it. I should probably, (laughs) instead of of dragging them through the museum, it's easier if they go in the side entrance to the museum because our meeting room is right off of that side entrance. But when people get to the front, I go to the I go up the stairs one level, I go through one gallery and then past the main entrance and, and out the front door and usually help somebody come in. Now the one gallery that you have to go through, it's kind of set up how Target is been resetting their stores. It's not a straight run. You can't just walk in. It's not like walking down a supermarket aisle where you know you're good. You're, as long as you walk straight, you're good. They've set it up where, like Target has, where they have a little bend to the right or a little bend to the left. And it's when you can't see, when you're blind or visually impaired, I don't know why I say when you can't see. When you're blind or visually impaired, it makes it a little more difficult. And maybe it's me because I like to walk quickly, and I know if it's a straight shoot, I don't have to slow up. And again, it's probably better that it's like this because I do walk too fast sometimes. And there's going to be a time when I my cane doesn't alert me to a person standing there if I'm walking in a place where there's a straight run. Through this gallery, though... I can't walk fast because there's things that jut out from the wall. There's a seating area in the middle. There's some displays, not quite near the wall, but not in the middle. So it's kind of like you're doing a little serpentine through there. <laughs> and if you've ever seen the in-laws, <laughs> it's where Alan Arkin has to go and not get shot when he's picking up something. One of my favorite movies, by the way. Uh, so one of the guys gets there and I go up to help him. And I bring him through, and I talk as I walk through, and he can also hear my cane tapping, and he also wasn't walking as fast as me, so I had to be wary that I didn't get too far in front of him. But I helped him through, and that was during one section of the meeting, and it's kind of funny because uh, the NFB, the president of the National Federation of the Blind, does each month called a presidential release, basically telling you what's going on within the Federation and some folks who have died, some folks who've had kids, so forth and so on. But this one was exciting because it was talking about the National Convention, which is in New Orleans in July. So I never listened to 
the presidential release when it's live because I figured, why am I going to listen to it while it's live? Because I'm going to hear it at the meeting. And then it, <laughs> it never fails at the meeting. I'm having to help somebody through the museum or somebody's texting me for information for something they have to present or something like that. So as is the case, I had to go during the presidential release to help somebody find their way through. And then a little bit later, I had to help someone go find the bathroom, which it's very nice where the meeting room is because both the men's and women's room are very close by. So it's very nice. That part is nice. So I kind of run around all the time during the meeting, whether it's within the museum or sometimes some folks need help getting from the train station, like I said. So I've got to go there and I got to meet them. The problem with the train station is they have an exit on uh, Civic Center. No, it's not called Civic Convention. I think it's called Convention Ave or Convention Boulevard. There's also an exit of this train station right on South Street. So I don't know which, <laughs> which exit they're going to come to. So sometimes if I know the train has already arrived, I will stand on the corner of this, these two streets and then just wait and just con- every so often call out the person's name. If I'm there before the train gets there, I try to go in and then meet them at the train and then work, work our way out. So I didn't have to pick anybody up at the train station for the meeting this time, but I did have to help someone get to the station and make sure they get on the right platform. Well, it turns out this Penn Medicine station right there at the uh, Franklin Field and Penn Museum area, uh, there's only one platform and there's one track heading northbound and one track heading southbound. So uh, this person had to go to 30th Street Station, which... It's kind of sad that she couldn't just ride all the way through, but she had to train, change trains to get onto her line. So I walked her to the station, walked her down to the platform, and just to make sure, I thought, oh, I see a sign over there. I can't read what it says, but let me take out my phone. And I used Seeing AI, which if you don't know what that is, just go to the app store if you've got an iPhone. Seeing AI, all one word, S-E-E-I-N-G-A-I. And it's free. It's by Microsoft. As I've mentioned before, it's probably the best thing, in my opinion, that Microsoft has ever put out. And the one thing that saves them, uh, you know, there's that old joke, the first time Microsoft makes something that doesn't suck, it's going to be when they start making vacuum cleaners. Uh, but this app is great. And uh, again, free and does, does exactly what you need it to. Now, I sometimes use another app called Envision, and Envision has does the same thing Seeing AI does for the most part, but it also has a magnifier in there. And sometimes when I'm trying to find something on a box, I, I can't see where I need to point the phone. So I will use Envision, E-N-V-I-S-I-O-N, to try and find either the address label or if it's the nutritional information, I, I will use that. So I could magnify the area. It's still not magnified enough so I could see it, but at least I know that I'm in the right ballpark, and then I use the uh, the reader to tell me what it says. So I point my phone towards the, the sign that I see, and the sign says, Welcome to Penn Medicine Station. <laughs> and I guess that's for people who are on the train, because it was across the tracks, and it helped people who are on the train, oh, this might be the station I need to get off at. Um, so... I was pretty sure, I was 99% sure that the train that came on 
this track that I, I told this person to wait by was the one that was going to go to 30th Street. I said, just make sure you, before you get on, you ask the conductor and they will tell you. And uh, Harriet had checked in with this person later on and, and she did indeed get on the, the correct train to 30th Street and then the correct train to go home. So I was happy about that. But then I had to run back to and catch up with everybody else because after the meeting, this was after the meeting now, after running around during the meeting, after the meeting, walked this person over to the train and then walked back because we were all heading down to, as a chapter, we're doing a fundraiser in June, on June 25th. So if you're interested, June 25th, we're doing a spin class fundraiser at Cycle Bar on uh, 15th and Locust, 1521 Locust Street in Center City, Philadelphia. If you go to their website, cyclebar.com, and click on locations, it's the one called Center City. So we were going to this place to check it out, to see how things were, how is it going to be easy for our folks to get to it, and so forth and so on. And it was pretty easy. Now, it is downstairs, so it's it's in the basement level of this building. So once I helped this person to the train, I figured, okay, now I've got to go back and catch up with everybody else because we were all going to jump on, I think it was a Route 42 bus to go to the cycle bar to check it out. Well, I get to that and it's drizzling. It's the Saturday that we had this meeting. It's drizzling and it just wasn't a great day. And so I catch up to everybody who's waiting at the bus and they're still there. And I'm like, oh, great. Everybody's still here. I can still catch the bus with them. And I had my new SEPTA key card on me. So I was interested in checking that out to see if it actually worked. And then I get a call from Harriet who was with someone else. And she says, uh, did you take the person to the train? Because this other person may need to go as well. And so I went back to the front of the Penn Museum as I'm walking back, it's starting to rain a little harder. And so I catch up with Harriet and this other person. And this person says, well, I'm actually going to take an Uber home, but I'd like to see where the train is. And Harriet convinced him since it's now raining pretty good. Why don't you just do that the next time? And so we head back to the bus stop. And that's when Harriet reminded me that she wasn't going to take the bus. I said, okay, I'll get an Uber and we'll take the Uber. And one of the other people in the group said, oh, I'll take the Uber with you guys. So there was three of us for the Uber, the rest, and I I think there was 11 total. The rest of them get on the bus. Well, when I ordered the Uber from 33rd Street, just off of South, it's actually South on one side of the intersection and Spruce on the other side, it says 3260 South Street, which is the address of the museum. So I thought, okay, we've got to go back to the museum. Now, like I said, it's raining pretty good now, and there's no place in front of the museum that's undercover So you've got to walk like half a block in to get to covering and the the entryway of the museum that's still outside, but they've got a a pretty big area that's covered because it said it was going to be 10 or 12 minutes for the Uber to get there. Now, again, we're dripping wet at this point. Now, the water is just running off my bald head (laughs) and down my back and down my front. I was so soaked, it was unreal. I couldn't believe how wet I was. The Uber finally shows up, and the other person who was going to take an Uber home, his was going to show up a little bit later. And so we walk, we get in the Uber, and it was at that point I realized how wet I was because I tried to lean back on the seat of the car, and I thought, oh my God, I am soaked in the back too. And traffic was just nuts. It took us so long to get there, even though the people who were waiting for the bus had left 10 minutes earlier, 
we ended up getting to the cycle bar at the same time because of the traffic. Obviously, when you're on a bus going through a good chunk of the city, there's a lot of stops, people getting on and off throughout the way. So, and traffic to deal with as well. Uh, so, like I said, we got there around the same time. We go downstairs, we check the place out, and it was freezing in there, primarily because we were soaking wet. The other reason, it, I guess they keep it cold because people are working out and they want it to be a little bit cooler. So we saw the facilities and it was, it was really nice. We are, I'm excited for it. There are 40 seats that are available. It's $25. Uh, I don't have a link yet. I will have a link by June 1st. Uh, it's actually the cycle bar is actually collecting the money. Uh, if you want to do it, you really want to do it. Uh, I can do it. If you send me people still use checks, you can send me a check. <laughs> made out to the Keystone chapter, NFB of PA, and I can get you in there if you want to do it that way, or you can wait for the link. We're hoping we sell out because that means we will raise $1,000, and it costs us much less than that to have the event there. So I'm really excited for that because we have not had much fundraising over the past couple of months and uh, very little banking activity, as as, uh, I said during the meeting, during my uh, treasurer's report. So again, that's the 25th of May, sorry, 25th of June at the cycle bar at 1521 Locust Street in Philadelphia. So if you like to do cycling and are interested in doing that class, it's at two o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, the 25th of June. Uh, $25 gets you in and uh, we would really appreciate that. And uh, I'm kind of excited for it. I am not going to ride. Um, I, I just, I, <laughs> I can't, I don't feel like... Uh, I could put on another pair of shoes and uh, ride because you do have to put special shoes on for these bikes. And as I was telling somebody that day, I have been wearing these old shoes that I bought back in 2006 because they are very loose. They are, uh, as I, I think I mentioned it before, Johnston Murphy, Johnston and Murphy, Schuler Bicycle is the, brand, is the, um, the model of a Johnston and Murphy shoe. And these are so old, I, I actually have had two other pairs of this same color since I bought these, but I've saved these because they've held up enough to wear when I have to shovel snow and it's, or it's really rainy and muddy out. I wear these, but now because of that bone spur on my foot, these are the ones I wear almost every day. And it, it's going to be hot in this area over the weekend, so I'm hoping I can wear sneakers so I can wear a pair of shorts because it would look really stupid <laughs> if I wore these shoes with shorts. I mean, really bad. So uh, fingers are crossed for that. Once we finished at the cycle bar, we went and we had lunch. It was a nice place, a Jewish deli, very nice. Um, Getting home was just incredibly hard. I had three Ubers cancel on the trip home. One of them actually made it look like I got in and then got out. And I wondered why it was so difficult to then, and that was the first one, I then had to plug in everything and do the request the Uber all over again. Usually when someone cancels before you're picked up, it just then looks for another driver. So that person canceled. Then the next person canceled after we waited about 10 minutes. And then the last person canceled after waiting about five minutes. She actually called me and said, oh, where are we going? Where are you going? I said, well, there's three stops in Delaware County. And she's like, oh, you know, I'm near the end. I have a place to be, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, I have to cancel which just sucks because we actually waited half an hour from the time I initially ordered the Uber till the time that we got picked up. And 
then once we did the the one that we got was a, a little bit smaller of a car. Now the guy uh, who I don't remember his name. Um, he was from Morocco and he was very happy to be driving us. He was, he was awesome in all ways. And, um, I ended up getting home by five o'clock after calling for the Uber at quarter past three. And maybe I got, maybe we got picked up, uh, well after quarter to four. Maybe that's just when the guy, when the fourth guy was notified that he had a ride and then we had to wait 10 or 15 minutes for him. But in any event, it just took a long time to get from Center City, Philadelphia to my house in Swarthmore. Just incredibly long. It was, it made it, made it, it just made it a long day, that last hour and change between waiting and then riding uh, in the Uber. So I'm not sure why they canceled. Uh, I was told by the person who called me to cancel that they don't see where the drop-off point is until they pick somebody up. That's why she called to see where we were going. And, and I kind of believe that because I kind of remember something back a few years ago where drivers were not picking people up if they were going to a bad section of town or they didn't want to go a distance. So it sounded like a legitimate excuse to me or a legitimate reason why they changed it so a driver couldn't see where you were going. Please rate and review uh, wherever you listen. I would really appreciate that. If you've got questions, comments, show ideas, please reach out 646-926-6350. You've got three minutes. Please leave your name in town if it's something that you want to tell us all that I play on an upcoming episode. If you're just telling me how much you like it, you know, it would be nice to have your name as well, because I'm going to play that. And if you say how bad things are, I'll play that too. So you don't necessarily, <laughs> if you don't want to, you don't have to leave your name on that one. But I would appreciate any kind of feedback. Again, 646-926-6350. Again, you've got three minutes to leave questions, comments, show ideas, whatever you've got, reviews, uh, anything. Again, g- give us a buzz, give me a buzz, and let me hear from you. Also, you can reach out via email. I can't see you podcast at gmail.com. I can't see you podcast at gmail.com. Show notes for this one will be at I can't see you.com slash 180. I can't see you. Sounds like a whole sentence, but it's only seven characters long. I C A N T C U.com slash 180. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the I Can't See You podcast. My name is David, at David Benj on all the socials. Please continue to stay safe, be well, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the I Can't See You podcast with David. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And don't forget to share the podcast with your friends.